welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is our 506th show, and our guest for today's show is Dr. Chris Wells, President and CEO of the Dabrowski Center, who's going to be talking to us about the theory of positive disintegration. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. To begin with, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. We are very excited, too. So we call the first segment of the show Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is just to give the listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on Kazimir Dabrowski and why he created the theory of positive disintegration? Sure. Kazimir Dabrowski was a Polish psychiatrist and psychologist He lived from 1902 to 1980, and he lived through both world wars in Poland, and his personal experiences shaped his theory significantly. You know, the theory came from a few different areas of interest in his work and life. Um, His early work centered on nervousness and and suffering, really, on the thesis for his medical degree in 1929 was about the psychological conditions of suicide. And he actually lost a close friend to suicide when they were teenagers. I think he was 16. And the thesis for his doctorate in psychology was on the psychological basis of self-mutilation. And so that's what was on his mind when he was developing his theory. And he perceived a connection between emotional tension and intensity of experience. He took the broad construct of nervousness or overexcitability. He used those terms synonymously. And he differentiated it first into four types, and later he added a fifth type. And this aspect of his work is probably the best well-known in modern times. And so his theory was developed uh, during the 1930s, and early outlines were first published in Polish in the late 1940s. He published textbooks of child psychiatry and work on mental hygiene in the 1950s. And then the first books on positive disintegration appeared in 1964 in both English and Polish. And so the central construct, the central concept of the theory of positive disintegration is multi-levelness of developmental phenomena. He defined five levels of development, which he saw as encompassing the entire range of humanity. And so the theory really presented a challenge to the mainstream perspective of psychiatry during his life, and it still provides an alternative to the medical model. Uh, You know, in 1964, in that first English book, he described his theory as representing a change in traditional psychiatric concepts of health, illness, and normality. He emigrated to Canada in the mid-1960s, and he worked at the University of Alberta um, at Laval University in uh, Montreal, actually I think it's in Quebec City, and he also would go back to Poland periodically, um, and he died in 1980 in in Poland um, about a year, I think, after he had a heart attack. He was he spent time imprisoned by the Nazis and the communists in the 1950s. Well, you know, I mean. Well, the Nazis, obviously, in the 19, early 1940s, but um, then again in the early 1950s, he was imprisoned in Poland by the communists, and 
you know, those times, I think, in prison kind of had a negative impact on his health, which, you know, he suffered from later in his life. Okay, Chris, let me kind of pull things back to the the theory itself. Um, you talked about it being a, a challenge to sort of the traditional medical model um, and that it is a multi-level system. Can you, and we've got about three minutes left for this segment, can you kind of summarize what that, what, what you mean by those two things? Sure. Yeah. So the multi-level process begins with the emergence of a hierarchy of values, you know, which is experienced as a, like a vertical split in which one becomes aware of the higher versus the lower in oneself. And he identified two kinds of developmental processes, which he labeled unilevel and multi-level. So the unilevel process is without a hierarchy of values, and it can present as an integration or a disintegration. And so the process of disintegration is extremely uncomfortable, disorienting. It can feel like or look like mental illness. Um, you can think of it as the structure of one experience of reality kind of breaking down and making way for a new, higher experience of reality. Unfortunately, disintegration is not always positive, and, you know, we see this in struggles with addiction, psychosis, or even death by suicide. The theory is very conceptually rich, which makes it challenging to understand and especially to talk about, but at its foundation are these two concepts of multi-levelness and developmental potential is the other major foundation of the theory. And that's made up of one's unique blend of overexcitabilities, special talents and abilities, and the capacity for inner transformation. All right. Multi-level. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think this is a good this is a good place to, to draw a line here. Um, we will. One of the things that we absolutely need to talk about is, you know, the term overexcitabilities. I think that's probably where we're headed next. But um, for now, we have much more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussions of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then history buffs and historians ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Chris Wells, President and CEO of the Dabrowski Center, and we're talking about the theory of positive disintegration. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. Brett, as a teacher of both traditional and neuro neurodiverse gifted students, why don't you start us off? Gladly. So, Chris, at the end of the last segment, you used a term that a lot of people uh, probably aren't familiar with, overexcitabilities. Can you kind of explain that concept to us? Sure. 
Um, overexcitability is a really old construct, and it predates Dabrowski by many years. Um, when I was doing kind of a deep dive into it a few years ago, I discovered, you know, it's present in William James's Principles of Psychology. It, it you know, it's seen in other places, um, you know, in the 18th century, like it's, it's very old, but it's, it also um, was called nervousness. And so nervousness was a very broad kind of like vaguely defined set of conditions that, you know, was seen in children and adults. And so Dabrowski saw nervousness or overexcitabilities in sensitive people um, in people that we would now call gifted, but also in people that we would now label with various kinds of neurodivergence, such as ADHD or autism. Um, and so, you know, his one of his closest collaborators was Dr. Michael Pihofsky, and Michael introduced overexcitabilities to, you know, the field of gifted education in 1979. And that's kind of where it's lived since then, there's been a lot of misunderstandings about overexcitabilities over the years. And so that's part of why I went so deep into it to kind of understand what he was talking about. Okay. Uh, Rick. Wow. You're, you're asking, you're asking a geologist to <laughs> ask a psychologist a question on this. Wow. What is disintegrating when you say the theory of, of, uh, positive disintegration. What is disintegrating? You mentioned briefly about it can be pleasant, it can be painful, it could be constructive, it could be uh, destructive. So what, what, is, what is the focus of the, the disintegration, positive dis disintegration? That's such a great question. Um, there was actually a presentation at the Dabrowski Congress in uh, 2018 called What Disintegrates? And Elizabeth Mika talked about this, um, you know, and it, it's very different for everybody, of course, but basically what's disintegrating is your current experience of reality, who you think you are, who you thought you knew yourself to be is breaking down. And it's, you know, and it, it's such a, there's such a range of what that could look like because you can see disintegration in children even where, like, I, I mean, I saw this in my son when he was like seven or eight years old and he went through a period of disintegration when, you know, we pulled him out of school to homeschool him and it looked like, you know, maybe he had a mood disorder or something. I mean, this is why, this is why it's a challenge to, to psychiatry, but, but basically, you know, it can also be your experience of conditioning breaking down, um, you know, maybe something hugely traumatic has happened in your life and everything you thought uh, you knew about your experience is suddenly called into question and you don't know who you are anymore. And so, you know, it's, it's your experience of reality and who you are in the moment that's breaking down. It can also be like a spiritual crisis. There's so many different ways that it can look. So, Chris, to take that question then the next step, 
we think of, the average person thinks of, dis, you know, disintegration, particularly if we're talking about my psyche in some way disintegrating as this horrible experience and it's traumatic and it's, and it, you know, it, it, it has nothing but negative connotations, yet this is the theory of positive disintegration. So how can this thing that seems to be so negative become a positive? Well, what makes it positive is that the transformations that are occurring within you are shaped by the emergence of dynamisms. And the dynamisms come from the overexcitabilities. You know, they arise or emerge from having overexcitabilities. And so that's part of the connection there. Um, and some of the dynamisms have names that will be familiar to listeners, like feelings of shame or guilt, dissatisfaction with yourself, uh, responsibility. Some are less familiar, like uh, the third factor, inner psychic transformation. But it's these dynamisms that do the shaping. They are the disintegration. And there's unilevel and multilevel ones. And that's it. this is part of the conceptual richness of the theory is that he – you know, there's so many, there's like 29 or 30 dynamisms in his work over time. But that's, but that's what's happening in the background when you're going through the disintegration. And that's what's bringing you out on the other side of it. That's what makes it positive is that you reach theoretically a, a higher, a higher place. Okay. Brett. So this next one's going to be a two-parter, um, so be, be forewarned. So if I'm thinking about a, a disintegration experience that everybody could relate to, would a kid finally realizing that the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or Santa is, is mom and dad, would that be a, a disintegrating moment in, in kind of a minor way hmm that's an interesting question you know i mean i suppose technically it could be but i would say no i believe that to, what he was talking about are truly uh disintegrations of a much more significant magnitude and that would cause more discomfort even than that but so perhaps like the death of a parent. It would be. Okay. Yes. Yes. The death of a parent much more le much more in line with what what we're talking about. But also an experience like puberty, um, you know, or later in life like menopause. You know, these are developmental milestones that can trigger disintegrations. Okay, because um, it's easy to to seem very abstract about this and and. I think that helped put it in a frame that more people can can understand a little more clearly. So how does the overexcitabilities uh, part of this interact with disintegration? Does it make it more likely? Does it um, make it more intense? How do those two things interact? It does make it more likely and it does make it more intense. Uh, you know, Michael Bihofsky, I like the line that he used in, at at least one point in his work where he called the overexcitabilities a conflict-generating substrate. 
I think that that's a great way to think of it. The overexcitabilities cause conflict internally and externally. If you have them, it's so hard to adapt or adjust to everyday reality. And that's why, you know, these are kids who have a harder time in school, in life, in, in general, because when you have like a more intense experience of reality, I think that, you know, it just naturally creates a tremendous amount of conflict. At least that's been true from my own experience. But, and in, you know, the research too, you see that if you're, if you have overexcitabilities, I mean, I think that it's harder to stay in your seat and pay attention when you're in school. It's harder to work a nine to five job when you're an adult. It's just, it's harder to exist in some ways. And this is why you're more likely to go through the, the experience of disintegration. Okay. Rick. I'm going to go back to um, the breaking down of, of uh, conditioning. You've been talking about uh, individual challenges, menopause, uh, death of a parent, things like that, uh, and uh, pointing out that there is no Santa Claus. What about a large group like national experience? And I'm thinking about what the United States and the rest of the world went through, but particularly the United States, uh, with the disruption of of uh, 320 million people's experience on living in America, working in America, going to church, meeting families and what have you. But with COVID, we were all put in a cave, our individual caves, for up to two years. Is, is this a... Is this a a group disintegration of uh, 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 experiencing experience conditioning? Yes, definitely. We went through a societal disintegration, you know, and I would argue multiple times over recent years, especially here in the United States, you know, politically prior to the pandemic, we experienced that too, to some degree. Yeah, but from my perspective, what's unfortunate is that these disintegrations are unilevel ones. And so, which means that, you know, we're having like a recycling of experiences. We're not reaching a a higher level. What we need is for our societal disintegration to reach the point of a multi-level disintegration, because that's the point where the values hierarchy comes into play. One of the things that I, I wish I would have mentioned earlier when I was talking about Dabrowski is just how important values are to this theory. That is like a critical aspect, and that's the multi-level part, and that's what we're missing in these societal disintegrations. You know, at this point, we've come back from COVID, and, and we're not in a higher place. We're not, you know, we haven't, like, reintegrated at a higher level. We're still struggling, and, and I think at best, sometimes we're just pretending like everything is okay. Chris, I'm going to ask you to kind of elaborate more on that. So what do you mean when you talk about moving to higher levels of values and so forth? Because I'm not sure, again, most of the public doesn't think of values as being something that one moves through. So I think maybe you need to talk a little bit about hierarchical systems, looking at values and, and what positive disintegration is hoping to do in terms of moving people up that scale. Sure. Yes, this is, that's right. So when I talk, when I'm talking about values and a values hierarchy, 
I'm talking about discovering a hierarchy of values. And so, you know, in the pandemic, we had the opportunity as a society to discover um, the need to care for one another, you know, better than we had been, uh, you know, the need to prioritize taking care of each other, you know, but instead we saw like how people resisted wearing a mask, resisted, you know, prioritizing the other over ourselves. And that's, that's what Dabrowski meant when he talked about like a higher versus lower and also reaching a higher level of development, you know, at the highest level of development in the theory, you're working in service to humanity, um, caring about other people instead of yourself, uh, finding a goal outside of yourself. But in the United States, I think we're extremely egocentric as a society, and that is lower level in this theory, you know, worrying about yourself and not worrying about your neighbor. So that's what I was thinking. That's what I had in mind when I was talking about that. I'm not sure if that adequately answered your question. Well, it, yeah, and the only thing I would I would have you add is, so again, you know, we start out sort of at the low end, being very self centered, very egotistical. What what are the steps, the progression that needs to happen? Because I, as I understand, Dabrowski disintegration happens multiple times over one's lifetime. Hopefully, each time it happens, you manage to move up the scale. You become more other directed. So can you kind of talk about what he thought of in terms of sort of those stepping stones or that that the stairs as as you're moving up in in that moral development? Sure. Yeah, for sure you go through many many disintegrations over your lifetime. There's not only it's not just like one big experience. And so each time you go through the experience of disintegration and those dynamisms are in in motion, then you're, you continue to discover and refine your hierarchy of values. Um, if you're, you know, I would say that each time you go through a disintegration, you become more of who you really are and you can kind of, you know, chip away at those aspects of yourself that aren't in line with this new hierarchy of values that you're working with. Um, you know, just, you know, personally, from my own life experiences, I would say each time you go through a disintegration, you should ideally gain clarity about yourself and clarity about the path ahead of you and, you know, more in line with the personality ideal, which, you know, at the highest level of this theory is the one that is overarching and has kind of uh, subsumed all the other ones where you're living your values, your actions every day are aligned with who you are, who you want to be. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess living your values is the best way to put it. Living okay. those higher values. Right. All right. Brett, I'm going to let you have the last question in, in this segment. So with Dabrowski, we have two issues with the theory itself being not terribly easy to understand uh, and it being originally in Polish so you have translation errors enter into it. What are the most common ways people get Dabrowski 
wrong? Ooh, that's such a great question. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, and I hate to tell you this, but you got about two minutes to do this. <laughs> so, so pick okay. the most common and we'll dig deeper in the uh, podcast extension. Right. Okay. I would say that the most common is for people to think of it as a stepwise progression where you're born at level one and you move two, three, four, you know, forward in your life. It doesn't really look like that in reality at all. There are young children who are clearly in multi-level development, you know, experience multi-level disintegrations. And then there are adults who never, never even have an, a unilevel experience of disintegration. And so I think that idea that it's kind of analogous to a stage theory is the most common thing that I see from, from people as a misunderstanding. But if there's time, another big misunderstanding is that overexcitability is something different from ADHD or autism or these kinds of neurodivergence. That's another really common misconception or that it's only for the gifted. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and um, so I'm going to ask one last uh, question here and again, give you about two minutes to, uh, to answer. Um, so we always end our, uh, our show with the question asking our guest, um, the last question. And so the question I have is why do you think knowing about the theory of positive disintegration is relevant in today's world? Wow. Well, I, I thought about this relevance question and, you know, I think that for me, the most convincing evidence of the theories continued relevance has come from the response to the podcast that I co-host called positive disintegration. And we started the podcast in October, 2021 and, it's been incredible to see how many people find Dabrowski's ideas relevant in this 21st century. You know, we receive like a steady stream of messages almost every day at this point from listeners who tell us that the theory gives them a useful framework for understanding their experiences and especially people who um, considered themselves mentally ill or broken and are realizing that there's so much more going on than they realized. Um, on the other hand, you know, if we're going to remain relevant, we need more research. And so this to me is the most critical thing is that, you know, we can see that people with overexcitabilities now, you know, there's many different categories that these people are in. Sometimes they're ADHDers, they're autistic, they're gifted. They see that they have this intense experience of reality. Dabrowski's theory gives them a framework to understand why they've struggled so much, why maybe they've gone to psychiatry for answers and not found them until they discovered this theory, which has lived in gifted education. But for sure, it has continued relevance. It's just that we need to re-examine the theory in light of modern psychological science, um, you know, and we need to look at them. Uh, we need to look at the overexcitabilities and study them in light of neurodivergence. All right. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant 
This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 506th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Chris Wells, president and CEO of the Dabrowski Center. We've been talking about the theory of positive disintegration. The history bus for today's show were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.